0: Can JT Sanders have the best season we have ever seen from a Texas tight end in 2023? Our Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show, Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, we are talking about on three's top 10 returning tight ends for the 2023 season. JT Sanders slots in at number three on that list. But can he have the best single season we have ever seen from a Texas tight end in 2023? We discussed that. Then we're talking about two prospects who are in the NBA draft combine from the university of Texas. We're talking about Dylan Mitchell first. Was he underutilized under Chris Beard and Rodney Teary at his time at the 40 acres in his time at the 40 acres. Then we're talking about Serge Barry Rice, who has had a magical offseason. started off at the G league elite camp. And now is at the NBA draft combine. We discuss all of that and more on today's episode of locked on Longhorns, part of the lockdown podcast network, your team every day. So I've given this disclaimer, Really for the last couple of weeks, every time I've talked about it on this podcast. So here we go again today on three for the last two to three weeks has released a plethora of top 10 lists heading into the 2023 season, whether that's been top 10 positional group rankings, top 10 Coaches, right? Whatever it is, right? They've just released a bunch of lists. And anytime those lists have been applicable to the University of Texas and their football team, we've talked about them on Locked on Longhorns. And today will be no different because yesterday they released their list of the top 10 tight ends returning for the 2023 season. Now, JT Sanders was number three on that list. If you're a Texas fan and you watched any football last season, you know that it was not a matter of whether JT Sanders would be on the list, but how high he would come in on that list. And once again, he was at number three. If you watch college football for the last two years, you know who was at number one on the list, Brock Bowers, a two-time national champion, has been elite at the tight end position at the University of Georgia the last two years. Now, number two surprised me, Brevin Span Ford from Minnesota. He was number two on the list. Now, I have never heard of him, right? I could be a casual if I am, charge it to my head, not my heart. If I'm a casual, let me know in the comments, but I've never heard of Brevin Span Ford. And when I look at his receiving stats, he must be a hell of a blocker because his receiving stats last year do not compare to JT Sanders, yet he's higher on the list than JT Sanders. So when you look at it, he had 42 catches last year compared to 54 for JT. He had 497 yards compared to 613 for JT. And he had two touchdowns last year compared to five touchdowns for JT. So like I said, the brother must be a hell of a blocker. He's at Minnesota, so it would check out. But That could be the only reason he's ahead of JT Sanders right now on the top 10 list. But number three in the country is no slouch. And I'm just happy that JT Sanders is at the tight end position to begin with, because we remember in the class of 2021, when we were recruiting JT Sanders and Steve Sarkeesian was taking over as the head coach at the university of Texas, there was a lot of question about when position JT would be playing at the 40 acres, right? He was, a five-star in the 2021 class. I think he was the number one athlete in that class, number 16 overall prospect. And the question was about whether he would play tight end or edge. And a lot of people around the program, a lot of Texas fans wanted him to play edge. And it makes all the sense in the world, right? He has a, a physical athletic profile that screams, put him at the edge position and he'll dominate, right? Um, you know, when you look at it, edge is a premium position, more of a premium position than tied in, although I think tied in is becoming more and more important as years go on. But when you look at it, I think the three most important positions in football are the quarterback, the person that throws the ball, the edge rusher, the person trying to stop the quarterback from throwing the ball, and then your blindside protector, whether that's your left tackle or if you're like Tua or Dylan Gabriel, your right tackle, right? I think that would be the third most important position in football. So it made sense why people would want him to play edge. But when Steve Sarkisian got the job, he said he knew he was going to play tight end. And I'm glad he made that decision because it has been fruitful for him as we saw last year. And, you know, maybe he had the physical profile to play edge and be really good at it. But I think we've seen a lot of instances where really athletic players get stuck at that edge position and they just don't have the heart for it. And I'm not saying that JT wouldn't have the heart for it, but I think he wanted to play tight end and I'm glad he's doing that. If he was playing edge just because of his athletic profile i'm not sure he would be as productive as he has been at the tight end position so i'm glad he made the right decision and the stats say that he's validated in making that decision so now the question is can he have the best season we have ever seen from a texas tight end and i think the answer is yes i think he can but i'm gonna kind of parse this a little bit i think jt sanders will have the best statistical season We have ever seen from a Texas tight end, but I do not think he will have the best season we have ever seen from a Texas tight end. And I'll explain that moving forward. The reason I say I think he will have the best statistical season we've ever seen from a Texas tight end is because he almost did it last year when he was being used inconsistently. So he broke the record for catches in a season by a Texas tight end last year with 54. I think he can break his own record this year because I expect Texas to be in the Big 12 championship game, which means he would have 14 opportunities to break his record rather than the 13 games he played in last year. When you look at the record for yards by a tight end in a single season, William Harris has that with 637 yards set all the way back in 1984. So much for modern football, right? But JT Sanders had 613 yards, fell 24 yards short of that. And we know that he was used super inconsistently last year. This is probably one of the craziest stats you can attach to the Texas football team last year in this program. JT Sanders, who was the first team all Big 12 tight end, had three games with five or less receiving yards. Not catches. JT Sanders, the first team all Big 12 tight end had three games with five or less receiving yards. And what's crazy is he had 85 yards against ULM and then had back-to-back games against Alabama and UTSA with less than five receiving yards. In the Bama, UTSA, and Kansas games, he combined for 10 receiving yards total that's three of his 10 games on the season he combined for 10 receiving yards. now against Kansas B. John Robinson was breaking his rushing record he was breaking his touchdown record so Steve Sarkisian went with the you know with the uh, hot hand I remember against Alabama them trying to force feed JT Sanders the ball in the end zone and Kool-Aid McKinstry was holding them they weren't calling anything so I'll give you a little bit of grace on that and Quinn Ewers did get Hurt. But the fact that he had less than five receiving yards in three games, especially against UTSA, that's not going to cut it this year. Also, when you talk about touchdowns, I'm not sure what the record is. I wanted to bother Nash about it, but I always get up and prep my shows in the morning and I record in the morning. So I didn't want to bother him at like two, three in the morning. Hey, Nash, you know, I know you're the stats guy who has the most touchdowns ever by a Texas tight end. So I don't know what it is, but he had five last year. I'm pretty sure that if he increases that to seven or eight, he could at least knock on the door of breaking the record, if not breaking it this year. So I think that he has a chance to break his own catch record. I think he has a chance to improve on his five uh, touchdowns. And I definitely think he'll have 24 more receiving yards than he did last year, being used more consistently, Quinn Ewers being better, the passing game being better as a whole, and him playing in one more game than he did last year, I think that he ends up with the single season record for yards and catches by a tight end at the end of next season. So I think he'll have the best statistical season we have ever seen from a Texas tight end. This isn't really going to factor into his statistics, but I also thought this was interesting and I looked it up, so y'all got to hear it right. Last year, he had a 59.7 run blocking grade. That was kind of the question mark coming into the season we know that he was really athletic and was going to be really good in terms of being a pass catching tight end but could he be in the trenches consistently and run block and I thought he did a way better job than most of us expected as evidenced by this run blocking grade 59.7 throughout the course of the season for a tight end is really good and when you looked at his three worst graded games of the year last year in terms of run blocking Bama Tech and Washington all losses for this Texas football team, I don't think that's a coincidence, right? Steve Sarkeesian said tight end might be the most second important position in his might be the second most important position in his offense, I should say. And according to PFF, JT's three worst run blocking games last year were all losses for this Texas football team. So I think he's going to have an expanded role this year. I think that we're going to be a lot better in terms of passing and that's going to afford him the ability to have the best statistical season we've ever seen from a Texas tight end. The reason I say he won't have the best season overall for a Texas tight end is because I think that is reserved for David Thomas in 2005. The reason I say that is because that season he had 50 catches for 613 yards and five touchdowns. That's eerily similar to what JT did last year. JT had 50 Four catches for 613 yards and five touchdowns so david thomas matched him in yards and touchdowns and was actually a little bit more efficient in terms of yards per reception but that's not the biggest thing he did that year oh he won a national championship right catching 10 balls for 88 yards from Vince young in the national championship against usc so i think even though you know, JT Sanders may have a chance to win the Big 12 championship game this year. He may have a chance to, you know, exceed his numbers last year and definitely exceed the 613 yards of five touchdowns that David Thomas caught in 2005. I don't think he'll have the ability to win a national championship, but I don't think he'll be catching 10 balls for 88 yards in the national championship. So that's why I split it. And I said, he'll have the best statistical season ever, but I think you would trade all the statistics this year for him to have the type of season that David Thomas did in 05. So best statistical season, best season ever by a Texas tight end. David Thomas can sleep peacefully. I think at least for another year, he'll still hold that moniker. A quick word from Bill bar. Then we're going to talk about Dylan Mitchell. Was he underutilized at Texas last year under Chris Beard and Ronnie Terry? Uh Oh, looking for a delicious snack, but don't want all of the sugar and calories, then you need the best tasting protein bar ever built. You got to try this. If you're like me and you want to make healthier snack choices, but you don't want to compromise on taste. I've got just the thing for you. Built bars and built puffs. Built bars are healthy and taste amazing. Seriously, they taste so amazing. You want to think they're good for you. You got to try this. What makes built bars so good? Well, for starters, they are all covered in 100% real dark chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in amazing flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and cookies and cream. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy, only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering Built Bars at Built.com. But now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club while still getting your specialty flavors at Built.com. So head to the website, head to Sam's Club, head to Walmart. Walmart, wherever you need to go to get your built bars today. Before I talk about Dylan Mitchell and whether he was underutilized at the University of Texas last year, two things I forgot to mention in terms of the tight end segment, when you talk about David Thomas, he had the stat line that JT Sanders had last year, but he did it in 12 games, right? 50 catches for 613 yards and five touchdowns. He did that in 12 games. The other thing that I wanted to mention was he had a hundred yard game that year, six for 104 yards and a touchdown against Oklahoma state. JT Sanders has yet to have an hundred yard game in his career. Although he has a really good chance to do that for the first time this season. All right. I didn't merge my football and my basketball segments because I forgot With, you know, all my talking points for the football segment, even though I got a (laughs) notebook full of notes right in front of me. So, anyway, we're ready to talk about basketball now. As you know, the NBA Draft Combine is ahead of us. Tonight, actually, is the lottery. Like I said, we will find out where Victor Wimbignana is going tonight I said that on yesterday's episode but I'm excited also for my NBA fans we got uh, the first night of the conference finals tonight with the Lakers and the Nuggets playing should be a really good series and I think the Celtics and Heat start tomorrow you know there's been so much made about this being a bubble rematch even though it's three years later and 90% of the roster isn't there anymore but this is a rematch of the two conference finals from the bubble so it should be interesting to see how that plays out and if you know if we see uh, You know, the same finals from 2020 in the bubble with the Heat and the Lakers, or if the Nuggets or Celtics can break through. Now, I didn't got off topic. Let's talk about Dylan Mitchell, right? So Dylan Mitchell set the NBA Draft Combine. Of course, he was, I think, either the third or it was, he was a top five player in the country last year coming to the University of Texas from Montverde, won a, uh, you know, a state championship at Montverde, and somebody that was looked at as a one and done player, right? Somebody that came into the University of Texas from high school with great height, great length, and somebody that was looked at as a versatile wing. And I think in today's NBA, that's probably the most important position, right? That two-way wing, somebody like a, a Jason Tatum or Kawhi Leonard or a Paul George, somebody that can Give you 25 to 30 and guard your best player. And when you look at Dylan Mitchell, he has the makeup of somebody that, with the proper development, could do that one day. So when you look at his measurements, he came in at six, seven, one ninety-three. I think a big thing for him is his six ten wingspan, right? Somebody at six seven that legitimately probably could guard one through four in certain spots. He has a 37-inch vertical, as we saw at the University of Texas multiple times with him getting up and just slamming stuff, right? Especially in that Gonzaga game. That's the first time that we really saw him dunk. And he did it, I think, three different times against Gonzaga, um, you know, on our way to beating the number two team in the country at the time. But Dylan Mitchell got a lot of buzz yesterday. And it's for the last thing you would ever expect if you watch him at the University of Texas. He went 16 of 25 from three in the three-point drills. And that led a lot of people – To kind of be confused because people were like, Dylan Mitchell never even attempted a three last year at the University of Texas, but yet now in these drills, he looks so comfortable knocking down these threes. Obviously, like I said, he made 64% of his threes in the drill, 16 of 25. I think they said he made four of his five threes and eight of his first 10 threes overall before, I guess, falling off a little bit after that. But you still, I guess, Dylan Mitchell, based on what you saw at the University of Texas last year, probably wouldn't even expect 16 to 25 from three. But he put on a show, at least so far, at the NBA Draft Combine. And it led to the question of was he underutilized, right? Because obviously, if he's able to make 16 of 25 from three, but he wasn't shooting threes last year, you would pose the question of why that part of his game wasn't emphasized at the University of Texas. Now, I've had multiple people tell me these are people that are closer to the basketball program than I am, so I can't necessarily confirm this, right, but I've heard it from people that I trust, people that have told me other things about the program that have came true or came to light, right, is that it was coached out of Dylan Mitchell, somebody that shot the 3 in high school, not a lot, but did shoot the 3 in high school, play more on the wing. It was coached out of him when he arrived here by Chris Beard and the staff. Yes, Chris Beard and the staff before he left. I was told that they kind of coached the shooting out of him and had him play more of that four, darker spot, kind of athletic rim runner role rather than letting him play on the wing and, you know, doing what he does, right? And, you know, I have to say that Based on what we saw from Dylan Mitchell last year, I'm not so sure that that was the wrong decision, right? It's easy to see him make 16 threes in essentially a practice setting. Now, of course, there's pressure on it because you're at the draft combine, but these are wide open shots in practice, right? And so I think it's easy to look at that and say, oh, he was underutilized because clearly he can make threes. But I've seen videos, plenty of videos of Ben Simmons knocking out, knocking down threes back to back. I saw a video of Dwight Howard making like 12 threes in a row. So I think the premise is, I think the question of whether he was underutilized is fair, especially when you see a video of him making 16 out of 25 threes when he didn't even attempt one at the University of Texas last year. But I don't think he was underutilized in terms of the three point, right? Because I remember plenty of opportunities last year where he could have facing up, and taking a two-point mid-range, right, over his defender the same way that Dylan Dessou used to all year. And he didn't do that at all, right? He just didn't take jump shots. And so I'm not sure if it would have been better for him to be a spot-up shooter on the three-point line. I'm not sure anybody would have guarded him. And we don't know how many of those he would have made in an actual game setting. And I know Dylan Mitchell wasn't about to be out there getting threes off, off the dribble, right, crossing people, stepping back, and making those type of threes. So, you know, I think this is just a... What's the word I'm looking for? I think this is a situation in which we forget how good these basketball players are, especially bigger basketball players that we see in a certain role. Like I said, I've seen Dwight Howard. I've seen a video of Dwight Howard hitting 10 plus threes in a row. Right. And so it doesn't surprise me that Dylan Mitchell can make 16 out of 25 threes because all of these players are really good basketball players. Right. He's probably knocking down you know, threes in high school, I'm sure Christian Bishop could come out right now and make nine of 25 threes, right? So I think it's just more of a testament to how good these basketball players really are. And somebody that never even attempted a three at the University of Texas can make 64% of his threes in some type of drill setting, but that's not factoring in defense. That's not factoring in the crowd. That's not factoring in The pressure of the game, that's not factoring in a whole bunch of things. And I think to look at Dylan Mitchell hitting 16 of 25 threes at the NBA draft combine and then to say he was underutilized at Texas because of that is just disingenuous. Because, like I said, it's easy to make those threes in a practice setting. I'm pretty sure he was knocking out threes in practice every day. Would he have made those in game? I'm not so sure. And that's why I can't say that Chris Beard and Rodney Terry underutilized him by not not letting him shoot the three, although I will say that's not the best look in terms of five-star prospects when they look at somebody like Dylan Mitchell, who didn't play the game that he played in high school, and then he goes to the NBA Draft Combine and makes 16 out of 25 threes. That might be the reason that A.J. Johnson is in Australia right now, but I love Ronnie Terry. I'm going to end that Dylan Mitchell part right there. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're going to talk about Jabari Rice and the magical offseason he's had. (laughs) So Jabari Rice coming out of New Mexico State, I'm sure didn't have really any NBA draft buzz. And he's from Texas and made the decision to transfer to the University of Texas to be in a bigger spotlight. We also saw what happened with the New Mexico State program. So they probably had a lot going on. I don't even think they played a full basketball season this year based on scandals and turmoil. But he came to the University of Texas. You know, he said it was always his lifelong dream to play for UT. And based on his career at New Mexico State, he was able to do that, you know, um he said that I I can't remember if he said it but it was reported that Rodney Terry who had played against him right in his time at UTEP was really familiar with Serge Jabari Rice's game and was one of the biggest reasons that Jabari came to the University of Texas so I want to shout out Rodney Terry and Chris Beard and the whole staff for identifying one of the best players in the portal and bringing him in and you know of course what he was able to do this year winning the sixth man uh, of the year on a national level and the big twelve level, and taking this team to the elite eight, I think did a really good job in terms of his personal stock and for the stock of the Texas basketball team, right? He what he was able to do alongside Marcus Carr, um, you know Timmy Allen, Dylan DeSue, Christian Bishop, and the rest of that roster will pay dividends for the Texas basketball team moving forward, right? And so Serge Barry Rice, in terms of college basketball fans, really became a household name this year right and that's the beauty of the transfer portal somebody who has been great the last four years right but has gone unnoticed just because he was at new mexico state got a chance to you know have his big moment in the ncaa tournament and he did that like i said helping you know lead texas to the elite eight and now you're hoping that this year somebody like a max amos can do that because if you watch college basketball you know who max amos is you've seen him you know in the tournament playing with oral roberts and having good games but that's nothing compared to what that'll do for his stock if he comes to the University of Texas and has a really good year this year at the 40 acres so when we talk about Jabari Rice's offseason after he got his uh you know all the awards and accolades he got like I said I think big 12 six man of the year national sixth man of the year I think he was third team all big 12 so you know he had a really good season I think 15 plus games of 15 points off the bench most in college basketball last year um you know i think he averaged like 13 points, 3 rebounds, 2 assists in like 25 minutes off the bench. So he was just one of the best players we've seen in recent memory at the University of Texas and he started off his off season at the Portsmouth Invitational Tournament. now this was my first time hearing about it this year, but this is a tournament for a lot of players trying to involve and um you know get themselves involved, get themselves in front of some scouts and improve their draft stock. He actually won MVP of that tournament if i remember correctly. Timmy Allen participated in that tournament as well, but Jabari Rice won MVP, and that's probably a big reason why he was invited to the G League elite camp. So then he goes to the G League elite camp and he shows out. They had two games slash scrimmages. I'm not sure what you want to call them. But in those two games, he only played about 20 minutes per game. Right. They're trying to rotate everybody, make sure they get minutes. Everybody gets equal opportunity. But in those two games in 20 minutes per game, he averaged 14 and a half points, three rebounds and two assists. On 47% from the floor, 38% from three, which is really good. I think he was three for eight from three overall. And then 100% from the free throw line. I think he went 10 for 10 from the free throw line in those two games. And that was a big reason why he was invited to the NBA Draft Combine based on his performance in those two scrimmages at the G League Elite Camp. One of eight players that was called up from the G League Elite Camp to the nba draft combine and then he measured in this was at the g-league elite camp not sure if they'll measure him again at the nba draft combine it wouldn't really make sense unless you think the g-league elite camp is lying right but he came in at 6'3. 172 I think he was like 6'3 and like two-fifths whatever so he's a little bit above 6'3 I think that's good size for a combo guard 6'9 wingspan I think that's going to be really intriguing to NBA scouts and decision makers because when I talked about Dylan Mitchell he has a 6'10 wingspan at 6'7 right Jabari Rice has a 6'9 wingspan at six three. So that's gonna be looked at as somebody that even though he's six three and probably shorter now. Now you see a lot of six, five, six guards, right? Six, five, six, six guards, even though he's six three with that six nine wingspan, you would expect him to be able to at least guard one and two consistently and at times guard the wing at the three position and with his competitive nature you know I think he'll definitely be able to guard one through three at whatever level he's playing basketball at so that's going to be really intriguing at nine wingspan and things I have seen from different scouts about his game thus far is a unique rhythm. And he plays with kind of an old-school style of basketball, right? You can't speed him up. We saw that at the University of Texas last year. He just plays at his own pace, right, which is really cool to see the shooting and the pump fake. Obviously, when you can shoot 37%, 38%, from the floor that opens up the space. And when you have a pump fake as good as his while be able to shoot as well as he does, then that pump fake is going to work over and over again. And he has that unique pump fake where everything leaves the floor, but his pivot foot, it actually looks like a jump shot. And then your next thing you know, he's blowing by you. I think scouts already knew about his shooting and his ability to pump fake and you know make plays off of that, but I think what has surprised scouts thus far in the off season is he has shown the ability to be an underrated finisher at the basket and a playmaker setting up other teammates. That's something he never really did in college. I think he never really averaged more than two assists, but he can do that if given the opportunity. Set up teammates, maybe come off of screens and set up teammates, and also finish at the rim. He's not just a three point shooter, and then he's somebody that makes winning plays. Right? I said he's a glue guy. He's a glue guy, just like. Brock Cunningham, but also a glue guy that can go get you 20 on any given night. So Jabari Rice, maybe nobody has increased their stock this offseason more than Jabari Rice, somebody that went from having to participate in the Portsmouth Invitational Tournament to get more buzz around his name. And now he's moved up all the way from the G League elite camp to the NBA draft combine and everything I'm seeing from scouts and you know people that are smarter than me. Everybody seems to think that Sergio Barry Rice will be in the NBA in some capacity next year, whether that be on an NBA roster or for a G League affiliate team of an NBA franchise. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hook 'em and peace.